and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 89. We continue to march closer and closer to the century mark here on PGE. Thanks for joining us. Sam Levitz, as always, with Jack Hendon here on the Zoom machine talking Mets baseball and a bit of an abbreviated week here in pleasant good evening land because of the all-star break. We came at you midweek last week, so um, only about four or five days worth of Mets news to cover and some fun stuff to look forward to for the remainder of this week. Recording here Monday evening, July the 25th, and talking about a baseball team that has a new addition, a couple new additions, only one at the major league level for the time being. Both of them former Pittsburgh Pirates. The Mets own the rights to employ Daniel Vogelback now, which is a real, real fun thing. Jack, before we hop into talking about Vogie, how are you? I'm great. They got Vogie. I'm so excited. It's like they heard the Large Adult Son podcast, and they're giving us one large adult son possibly the largest of the large adult sons I I love this dude I mean just one game of him I I really like him um but I think there are a lot of really interesting just not even underlying because like everyone knows how to read savant right but like I don't think people really have given thought and taken inventory of like how statistically interesting this guy is too and like we'll definitely talk about that I'm doing well for all those reasons uh Dan Vogelbach was in the lineup yesterday. They won eight to five. They pretty much broke out of the doldrums. I mean, I was at Saturday's game where they basically couldn't get anything going until the last minute and then couldn't mail it in. Um, And that was a real bummer. I thought really through the first couple of innings of this one, while Joe Musgrove was throwing the no hitter that like they weren't gonna, they, it was just gonna be a sweep. It was gonna be a futile, pathetic effort. And they'd be, you know, they'd squander an opportunity to gain a game on the Braves, but Dan Vogelbach broke it up. Pete Alonso broke it open. Um, Jolie Rodriguez almost blew it. Uh, long story short, I'm good. And they got Vogelbach. So. Yeah, we got Vogelbach, which is really fun. Like, rarely does a player come along that both aesthetically and just vibe-wise is so unique to the sport of baseball, to athletics as a whole, that you stop and you think it's really cool we get to see this guy do the things he's good at on a day-to-day basis. Like, obviously, Dan Vogelback is a large man. Obviously, he hits baseballs real far. Obviously, the clip of him running from second to home went viral immediately or whatever because he was surprisingly fast. Or some yeah. people think like under he eight, does, like he, sub eight. He does his best. It's 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 a good sight. I like it's it. wild. It's yeah. truly wild to see this man play baseball. And I know it's only been one game, but I mean, he adds a very important element to this Mets team that was sorely lacking, and that's right-handed power that you can just stick in the middle of this lineup, or left-handed power, excuse me, that you can just stick in the middle of the lineup, especially at the DH position, like. He is such an upgrade over the version of Dom Smith that we've been watching for the past 18 months that it's not even quantifiable right. how much of an upgrade he is. Even if he's just a, a, a platoon guy, like he can't hit lefties. He can't really play defense, but 
his job is to take at bats against right-handed pitching, take his walks and mash dingers. And he is going to do that. He's already like, he's already done like half of that. He took a walk in the game against the Padres. He took some good at bats. He had the first hit of the game for that Mets for the Mets in that game in the middle innings against Musgrove. You alluded to it. He was no hitting the Mets the first four plus four and a third or so. Yeah. Um, I think whatever it wound up being, um, but he got the first hit. So credit to Dan Vogelback for already making an impact, adding to the middle of that Mets lineup and lengthening it. Like you already saw what throwing a real DH into that lineup does to lengthen it because you get to move Canna and Escobar a spot further down. Yeah. And instead of having like dark holes in the eight and nine spot with like Dom Smith and Tomas Nito, now it's just Nito, which is, you know, admittedly an issue to its own right yeah. uh, because he is sporting a sub 500 OPS right now or whatever it is. It's real bad. It's really, really bad. Yeah. He's, he, you, I mean, there's the clip of him basically. Have you seen that clip of him on the live stream? Yeah, where he, he was like, he was like, I'm not gonna lie, like, I know my bat's not my strong suit, but I'm a great yeah. ping pong player or whatever he said. No, well, someone just straight up asked on his live stream, "What's the hardest pitch to hit?" And he goes, "All of them." Look at my numbers. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I do respect that he owns it. If the team were bad, I would have a much bigger issue with it. Like, not like an issue issue, but like I wouldn't find it funny. Like this. I find it a little bit funny. It, um, yeah. Also, if he wasn't by most metrics, like the best defensive catcher in the national right. league. Yeah. Um, that makes it permissible too. Um, but to go back to your point about Vogelbach, just really briefly, and then we can move on a little bit to the other hitters. Um, I mean, I guess there are a couple more things about Vogelbach that are worth noting. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he accents the lineup that they have right now really, really well, because they really molded themselves as a, as a unit of eight or nine hitters, depending on what you think Nito does here, um, of hitters who lengthen at bats, they don't chase, they hit the ball where guys aren't. Um, Vogelbach does that really well. He's 95th percentile in chase rate. He's 97th percentile in walk percentage. He's 74th in hard hit percentage. Um, the bonus here, like you alluded to, Sam, is that he absolutely mashes right-handed pitching. Um, he can hit for power. He's 82nd percentile expected weighted on base average and 77th in expected slugging. Like this is a guy who's going to add a dimension to something that the team has already been working on, which is developing, not developing, right? Cause they're all veterans, but, but utilizing very patient at bats and very patient approaches at the plate. And they, I mean, yeah, they really need it right now. The other, the other element of this though, that I guess is probably worth mentioning and, you know, it's an episode and it's a, it's a day that ends in a Y. So like, of course, we're going to talk about the bullpen, but trading Colin Holderman, I think, depending on who you are, like understandably, or maybe a little bit inexplicably pissed people off that they were so willing to give up somebody who by most metrics would probably be like their third best reliever right now, but I'm personally okay with it. Um, I am too. Yeah. Like, is it a good look to trade? somebody who's been good out of a bullpen that has not been very good? No. Is it necessarily that Colin Holderman was popping? Like, 
just a little bit over nine per nine innings is it's good. It's workable. If you're a team like the pirates that wants to develop a couple pitchers, but he's also 26 years old. And like we alluded to and touched on last week, they just drafted a bunch of college bullpen arms. Like they clearly have a plan now to develop a bunch of Holdermans in the future. And I don't think that you nick any opportunity to make your offense better because you would have to give up on Colin Holderman. So like, I'm, I think it's fine. And I think that ultimately this is a little bit of a wake up call for a lot of fans who don't really understand. Also, as we talked about last week with Soto that like you have to crack eggs to make an omelet. And this was like a very small egg. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that when I saw that, okay. When I saw that he only cost Colin Holderman, I was like, yeah, take it and run. That's a guy who's got such a specific niche that he fulfills so well. And it's a niche that's an important niche, being able to hit right-handed pitcher. Uh, there are more right-handed pitchers in baseball than left-handed ones. So a righty masher is inherently more valuable than a lefty masher. Um, and they can still use a lefty masher as like a platoon partner for Vogelback. Don't get me wrong. Wilmer Flores, knock, knock, hello, please come home. But uh, Vogie specifically fills a very important niche that this lineup needed as we discussed just a few minutes ago and getting him especially considering he has two years of control left yeah after this year he only cost a 26 year old reliever with injury history who has 17 career big league innings and doesn't have a plus off speed pitch. Like you're kidding me. Like yeah. the pirates clearly see something in Colin Holderman, whether they're scouting to the stat line and assuming that he's a breakout candidate because he's had an effective 17 innings worth of pitching as a big leader. Like maybe that's all it is. Maybe the pirates are still being the same, not very smart organization um, that they have been for a very long time. This is a team that is trading for a sinker slider guy in Colin Holderman that gave away a sinker slider guy who has become the best reliever in the American League in Clay Holmes. Um, this is not an organization that is adept at unlocking whatever it takes to unlock in a pitcher to turn them from a decent pitcher to a good pitcher or from a good pitcher to a great pitcher. This is just not an organization that's equipped to do that. The Mets similarly are not great at it. They're not one of the smarter organizations pitching wise either in baseball, but they're smarter than the pirates. And if the Mets smart, you know, people were like, yeah, Colin Holderman's a guy we can probably give away and not lose sleep over. I'm totally okay with it. Like right. you said, with the college pitching that they brought in in the draft this year, Colin Holderman did not get high leverage innings. And he is a guy that you need to be able to churn out three or four Colin Holdermans to pitch in the middle of baseball games almost every season. Drew Smith should probably be more in a Colin Holderman role than in the Drew Smith role he's in right now. He's a high leverage guy because he's not been very good for a couple of months now. Drew Smith started the year with like 20 scoreless innings. Yeah. And we're yeah. losing sleep over 17 Colin Holderman innings yeah. when Holderman has less good stuff than Drew Smith. Like Holderman is like a little bit of sink, a little bit of cut and like a decent slider. And he's like 93 to 96. He's also like just tall. 
you know, like he's six foot seven. Like that's, I admit that might be all it took for the pirates to decide that he was someone to take a shot with. Um, I think that, yeah, like I, I think you mentioned it well. Uh, also shout out Zebulon Vermillion. Yes. Uh, one of the, one of the, uh, the pitchers that they drafted. That's a real name. That's a real dude. They also draw, they also drafted a Dipsy Doom Swashbuckle. Um, oh, I missed that and, one. And uh, yeah, Flapjacks McMurphy, uh, you know, just a <laughs> bunch of, just a bunch of, uh, eventually they'll get tungsten arm, I guess. But uh, no, I, I think that you've said everything that needs to be said. Yeah, like we can move I could on have said on Holderman. I'm like, yeah. we, we can move on from it because the reaction yeah. was so over the top about losing Holderman that it actually blew my brains because like you can find a Colin Holderman anywhere in baseball. Yeah. Like a 26-year-old who throws in the mid-90s and is like okay in a low-leverage spot, like you could find that guy anywhere. Yeah. He and was- I like they probably have another Colin Holderman in Eric Orze right now, who's just like chilling in triple A and like doing okay and probably should also be getting a chance at the big leagues given the state of the bullpen, which I've been saying for like a month and a half. Um, yeah. and they continue to ignore me. But yeah. It's whatever. Like, I'm not going to lose sleep over losing Colin Holderman. He's a guy that Mets fans didn't know existed before spring training this year. Yeah. Because he had, like, a vague jump in velocity and then came out throwing 96 in spring training. And Mets fans were like, oh. And then the Mets gave him an actual chance by adding him to the 40-man. And he got some big league innings. And he did okay in them. So Mets fans were like, oh, guy, you know, do we have a guy here? No, you don't have a guy here. And if, if he becomes a guy with the Pirates, if he becomes a re- relief a relief ace with the Pirates, I'll eat my words. But I mean, he'll still get his ring. You know, he'll still get a ring when we yeah. win. Because yeah, he, I mean, he did a very valuable job in when they did call him up. Um, he did a good job as he was needed. And yeah. I, I want to, I think, just make that point very quickly because I'm afraid that people will att- interpret our... He's fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's... I don't know. I think that he was really, really good when they needed him. There's also a, a, a business of foresight that the Mets are, I think, I think they're in the right business with this one. I think they made a good decision. Um, hopefully they trade for some actual relievers. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm really sick of like, I'm honestly, I, I, I've been sick of Seth Lugo. a bullpen that only brings one of those guys in in October like only requires you have one of those three on your roster if even that like I think that would be fine the other question of course is like is the bullpen the priority right now like where else do they really where maybe would they be better off improving um I think Dan Vogelbach as we talked about is a great coup because it allows them to effectively move on from Dom Smith um they don't need to you know, carve out at bats for him if they really are done waiting. I mean, he's been involved in trade rumors to this point in the last week between the Red Sox and Cubs. Like he could be on the move. Um, I think it would be best for him to get that opportunity elsewhere. I really like the guy, but I think if the team wants to win a World Series, which we want them to do, they need to have an actual left-handed hitter that's going to have actual numbers, hit actual home runs, uh, swing at actually hittable pitches, et cetera. Like, I think that ideally maybe you also get a righty and you stop pretending that J.D. Davis like might be different because 
He didn't have it against Blake Snell. It's been a very similar story against most of the lefties that the Mets start him against. He's got reverse um, splits. Like he's not a guy who hits lefties like better than righties. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I don't really know what they're thinking. It's, it's not even a lefty righty thing. It's like a height thing. It's, can he hit the ball above his chest? No, literally he never has been able to. Um, if there's a guy who throws a high fastball, don't put JD in the lineup, maybe get like CJ Crone. Um, but then again, like, that you is, yeah, to... my, my issue with a lot of the names the Mets have been connected to is they're all first base DH types. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't really have two of them. On yeah. Like house. even, even Trey Mancini can fake it in the outfield a little bit, but like Mancini, Josh Bell, CJ Crone, these are all guys that I think without the acquisition of Vogelback would have been like fine as a big bat to get. Yeah. But with Vogelback in tow, unless you're like willing to just relegate Dan Vogelback to a primary bench role instead of being your primary DH against right-handed pitching, which for the time being seems like the direction they're going with Vogelback. Mm -hmm. I just don't see the fit for someone like Josh Bell who can't play anywhere besides first base, you know, keeping in mind that the Mets have a pretty damn good first baseman right now that also can't play anywhere else in Pete Alonso. Like Alonso is going to be in there every day at first base. And if he's not, he's going to be DHing, And, yeah. you know, I don't think that there's room for a first base only type bat in this lineup elsewhere. I think Mancini could work because he can fudge it a little bit in the corner outfield spots. Um, but he's like the only guy that I can see it. Um, everyone else that they need to be connected to is a guy who can, who's a primary outfielder or even an infielder. I would love a right-handed um or even a left, I would love an infielder period to be able yeah. to spell Eduardo Escobar and get yeah, a third get, baseman, please. Yeah, like get Escobar more of his like a, a higher proportion of his at bats against left-handed pitching because he's been much better as a right-handed hitter than a left-handed hitter. So I think that Eduardo Escobar, if you have someone who hits right-handed pitching, it doesn't even have to be a right hand or a left-handed batter, but a, a, a guy who can play a decent third base and hits better against right-handed pitching, then Escobar slides into a more of a bench role, pinch hitter role, who can come in and mash a little bit against left-handed pitching. I think that that alone improves this team a lot. Or, um, or even a second baseman and move Gior made a third or McNeil, I guess. Well, they put him in the yeah. outfield all the time now, but like that's that's the alter that's like the secondary thing. But like really, like if it's a bat, I think that it needs to it needs to be in there and Escobar probably should be the one that's taking on the JD role. It yeah. shouldn't be another yeah. JD that you trade for. Um, because I agree really, with you. Yeah. I fully agree with you. And I think, I think the moves that this team needs to make bullpen, you need two arms, preferably one of them is a lefty. Um, maybe even three, if you can find a third uh, offensively, they need, I think one more bench bat type, preferably a right-hand hitter, a guy who can spell Vogel back against left-handed pitching in that DH spot or play some third or second, uh, which is why I said Wilmer Flores. I think he's a good fit for that role. And then I think they need a legit bat, someone like a big acquisition, not a huge act. Like I'm not saying this has to be Juan Soto or Rafael Devers, but someone maybe a step beneath them. CJ Crone would be a great fit for that, 
if he had more versatility position-wise. But that's the same kind of echelon that I'm thinking. Someone who yeah. you can slide into that order. They need there, there needs to be home runs in this lineup, uh, you know, in spots that are not the Pete Alonso spot and now the Dan Vogelback spot. This is a team that is sorely lacking in home run power yeah. from game to game. Um, and it feels like Pete's the only one on this team, which is, has been the case for a couple of years now that Pete's the only real home run threat at any given moment in a baseball game that the New York Mets are playing in. And I think Mark Carrig said this on Twitter that when they were getting no hit by Musgrove to the first few innings, he tweeted something to the effect of, man, the Mets really need to buy home runs at the deadline. And then Alonzo hit a three run Homer and he yeah. tweeted something to the effect of, man, home runs are really, really good. Yeah. Um, that was huge. It was a huge home run. It was a that huge pitch was huge. Run. Everything about that one specific point in the at-bat, two-in-one count, trying to float pitches away from Alonzo. You knew Musgrove was going to get creative, and he hung one. If Pete Alonzo had not done that, I think they would have lost the game. People can say, you know, they scored however many other runs. I think that's what they needed. They needed someone to basically empty the entire cartridge. Um, I think that's the the general initiative they should be taking at the deadline. They need another hitter that's going to play every day and is going to do that. Um, because really right now you have two, potentially three on any given day, guys in your lineup who simply will not hit the ball when you need them to hit the ball. Nito has been OPSing under 400 since June 7th. Escobar has been OPSing 559 since June 7th. Guillaume has been OPSing 627. Like you have a bunch of people right now that haven't been carrying their weight, but honestly, at the same time, but probably shouldn't be expected to turn it around anytime soon. Um, you can't have innings that end, have a one in three chance of essentially of ending with a guy who cannot hit the ball. Um, you need you to go have to the, yeah. more person. You go to the last inning in the second game of that Padres series. Oh God. Well, that was another, that, that was not just Nito. That was Buck too. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's indicative of a larger issue. Right. But and the fact that he defended that, like you had Jeff McNeil on the bench, he had an all-star starter who's healthy. He was just getting a day against Blake Snell. It's ridiculous. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. The tying and go ahead runs are on base in a two to one game with two out of the ninth inning. I get like a left-handed closer on the mound and Taylor Rogers, who's had a very good year, but he's given up a run, given up a couple hits in this ninth inning and your nine hitters coming up. You can't use Dan Vogel back, even though you're tempted to because a three run Homer wins you that ball game, but you need a single to tie this game. You have a 300 hitter who hits well against both sides in your dugout, fully healthy in Jeff McNeil. And you go to the guy who's OPSing 500 on the season in Tomas Nito. Yeah. When you that have a backup, unacceptable. you have a backup catcher. You have a backup catcher in your dugout in case a situation like this arises. Like yeah. if you have to play a tenth inning, Patrick Mazika can go and catch. Yes. And literally, don't you want to play a tenth inning, or better yet, win in the ninth inning? Like I understand that. Jeff McNeil is not the best hitter in the world against lefties. But for one thing, he's OPSing like 360. Take average aside, slugging aside, it's already baseline better than anything that Tomas Nito can give you. Is He started the All-Star game, right? He literally 
made the all-star team. He's added 300 this year. It's one thing. It's already one really stupid thing to not be playing him because there's a tough lefty on the mound. First of all, it's literally Blake Snell. He's not a tough lefty anymore. He can't throw strikes. He's not good. Um, but second of all, it is Jeff McNeil. Like, and then you don't even bring him into the game. Like you don't even give him a chance against what, like is Taylor Rogers like that scary? I mean, honestly speaking, they score runs off of him. He, he it's, it's infinitely harder of an at bat for him to work through. And if he walks McNeil, Brandon Nimmo comes up. Like you're not only playing a game of like, will this guy get a hit or not? You're playing a game of like, can we get to the top of the order with the winning run at that point in scoring position? That's like the fourth game this year, I think. If I I've lost count because it's been a while since we had a buck game where I was like, buck cost us that game. But that was without a doubt a buck game. Like that was just that made me really, really mad. And I otherwise had a really good time because I was at the game, like I said, like, and I've only gone to now two games this year, but like, that was really unfortunate. Um, it is. It's another sign, like yeah. realistically, like even if they get into, uh, get into the playoffs, even if they make all the trades, you know, even if they have a fantastic roster, even if they pulverize the Braves from here on out um, and it's smooth sailing into the playoff bracket, they get the buy, whatever. Game five, game six, game seven, there is always a risk that Buck Showalter is going to make a decision like that. Yeah. And it's why I was, it's why I hesitated to give him a grade above a B plus because I just, in those moments, like I, I really can't trust him still. I like him, but I can't trust him. I like him. I have difficulty trusting him because he, it's the same thing that he's got going on with the bullpen where the whole year, these had the uh, go get him syndrome yeah. where like he trusts his guys almost to a fault. The leashes have been a little long with the pitchers. He likes doing the up downs. He doesn't start. Yeah. He like, he'll forego an opportunity to give a reliever a fresh inning. Um, if he can push a guy out for an extra out. Cause yeah. he gets a favorable matchup. Um, and it's the same syndrome. It's the same type of neurotic managerial decision-making on the, on the flip side with the Nito situation the other night, because I don't know something, he said something to the effect when he was pushed about it after the game where, you know, Tomas has had some big hits for us this year. Like, yeah, he's a ground ball that like Brian Anderson forgot how to play to his side. Like, are we really counting that shit? There was like a month stretch where Tomas Nito's only hits this were like came with runners in scoring position. Like he's driven in a few runs this year, but that has not been the case for a while because in the last month and a half, he has been the worst everyday starting player in baseball. Yeah. Offensively. He is not a guy who can bat in that spot ever, ever. And it's, it's, it's a microcosm of the bigger issue that Buck just listens to his brain a little more than he listens to the logic of the matchups like Jeff McNeil needs to take that at bat I don't care if it's a left-handed pitcher a right-handed pitcher or someone who's throwing baseballs with his foot that's got to be Jeff McNeil taking that at bat yeah you reminded me a lot of the uh the little split we had last year with Luis Rojas against I think it was the Cardinals where they had the tying run 90 feet away in extras and two out and a left-handed pitcher on the mound and you had Luis Guillorme in your on-deck circle, and 
not on deck circle on your bench and Albert Almora was the guy batting and they had Almora bat like it's a very similar I'm gonna trust my guy here uh mindset and like on one hand you're the manager you got keep you got to make sure that everyone feels trusted but like how do you think Jeff McNeil felt about that really really like you don't think the guy was going fucking nuts in the dugout like I'm sure I he felt confused games. yeah I'm sure he was pretty upset um so that's the other thing that like I guess I think about is just you know your team's always going to feel better about things where when like they're winning and when they feel like a, a good decision's being made which also leads into the fact that like it's a very good thing that they won on Sunday and I, I say this like every time they either win the last game of a series or lose the last game of the series like winning the last game of the series even if it's to avoid getting swept it's basically like splitting um in terms of just how it feels uh to look back on a whole series if you actually can go out on your own terms in some way and they really did do that um and it wasn't just Alonzo that had the hits he had the biggest and most important one but Nito to his credit actually came through with an opposite field double Mark Canna Kanye whatever has had a couple he had a couple good ropes in that game Jeff McNeil had a hit um Francisco Lindor had a double um I mean people started to get it going again and like you hope that continues but I mean really like they should just trade for someone. They really should trade for someone because if you get into August or September and you're down to like three guys in your lineup again who aren't hitting, and that's pretty much going to be a given with at least two of them because Nito is not going to hit. And I, at this point, I don't really think that Escobar is someone that has produced at the same clip as the other hitters in this lineup. Like Marte has com- considerably outperformed him. Even Canna, like he gets on base at least, even if the slugging has been suspicious. Like Escobar has just been against right-handed pitching. It's It's been really, really hard to watch across the board. And it's really bad when you peel back the first month he had and you take that out of the equation. Like the regression has been brutal um, and they can't, they can't go with that anymore. I would love to see them go get like, honestly, even if Wilson Contreras is like not the guy, maybe you get Sean Murphy and you get somebody else like a Trey Mancini. Maybe you get two really good guys instead of one great guy. Like an Ian Happ could be a nice little piece. Ian Happ would be good. I feel like the Cubs are going to gouge the Mets for any of those guys or really any team that asks. But then again, like you wait till the deadline, you tie their hands. Um, They'll have to give that guy up to somebody because they want to get value back. Like we just might have to play the waiting game, but the deadline will be over by the time we record next week. Um, So it's going to be, Although I guess right, we might record on Sunday, but they're back to July 31st. I don't think it's an August deadline anymore. Um, it's uh, so, August 2nd. Oh, it is August 2nd, I guess, because of the lockout. All right, so we'll have time. We'll have a little bit more time. Maybe there will be a trade as we record. Who knows? That's always fun. Yeah, that is always fun, honestly. Um, or, or with our luck, it'll be in the period of time after we record before it posts the next morning. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually like an hour after we wrap up and say our goodbyes. And then, you know, someone's like, you know, someone's got an injury or, or yeah. I mean, oh, someone... crap. David Robertson's a Met. Like that kind I... of thing. No, 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 no. I'm it's an example. Been. It's an example. I wish. All right. We should pause, refresh the Zoom, come back and talk Subway Series, which has no bearing on your experience as a listener. But for us, it's going to take an extra 90 seconds. So we'll be right back. But you just keep listening because, again, it doesn't matter to you. 
Um, <laughs> part two with Zoom. Here was Jack and Sam on the Pleasant Good Evening podcast, as always. Uh, Subway Series coming up. So the Mets dropped the series to the Padres, took the finale to avoid a sweep. Um, Pete's home run catalyzed the offense in the mid to late innings in that one. Super fun. Off day today when we're recording Braves and Phillies playing kind of a, an important game there because you hope the Phillies can actually do something worth a damn for once in their existence and beat the Braves, but they're losing four to three in the seventh to those Atlantas um, down in Philadelphia. But the Mets have a tough task ahead of them this week. Only two games, the first part of the Subway Series this year. Um, they get the Yankees. It's two games against the best team in baseball, these Bronx Bombers, who have lost twice coming out of the break in their four tries. They got swept in a doubleheader in Houston coming out of the break. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. In fact, well, they're really good. However, things are a little bit different for them right now. They're a little bit of a different look because they got a big hit to their bullpen um, right after the All-Star break. Michael King, who along with Clay Holmes has been like one of the more effective relievers in the American League, he broke his elbow. And Michael King, we care that you broke your elbow. I just want to let you know that. Um, wow, that's is that a Vine reference you're, it, you're, you're pulling out there? Is that a Vine reference? Yes, I'm pulling from again. Are we uh, – what are those? Are we, uh, are we doing one of those things? Are we I, doing a – if you don't get it, are we doing a – I'm going to say it. I don't care that you broke your elbow, but except I, but except I do because I never want to, you know, wish injury upon any baseball player because that, that really stinks, and I'm sure he's – really uh really take going through some mental ish you know he's feeling it I'm sure, i mean it probably hurts a lot too but I, I i digress don't bro me no we're doing the vine yeah we're doing the we're doing the vine thing god i mean yeah that okay it's a big loss to their bullpen because he's been really good like clay holmes is is even better than him but michael king is a is a big loss to that bullpen Especially because, like, the question starts creeping into your mind now. Like, do we start putting a role as Chapman back in higher leverage situations? That would be fun if they did that against the Mets. I would and it, I'd not be opposed. Yeah, especially if it, like, backfired on them big time. That would be sick. Uh, they're He's a good team. really bad. Have you seen the numbers? Chapman? It's a lot of yeah. walks. It's yeah, but it's like it's a lot of homers. He's re and like the velos down again. Like, I don't know if this is a thing he's gonna do every year where he starts out just like totally broken, but like it's it's pretty delicious. It's pretty bad. Oh um, yeah. Karma, karma is is a sweet, sweet maiden. Um yeah, but like there's a few like big name players on that team who are just like having bad years, like Chapman. Uh, Joey Gallo has been so bad so unwatchably bad like he's hitting 162 he's not even getting on base that much he's not even hitting for that much power and he's like a guy who walks a lot and hits home runs and he's doing really neither that much this year um so as a result they're in the market for a bat andrew benintendi has been a player that they've been linked to um doesn't really fix the lack of power in the outfield beyond the whole aaron judge and Stan, you know stanton thing whatever but that um, is two of them that that's, is that's two of them. 
they're yeah okay that's two or three it's not so bad that is two. they're putting judge in center i like just learned that they're oh, doing yeah that. he's been playing mostly center this year it's i mean that dude that contract for him at the end of this year i mean we were talking about how foolish it was that he rejected that because we were like you're a corner outfielder like you don't play that often and he's no longer a corner outfielder He's playing very often. He's on pace for like 60 homers this season. He's got 37 already. Yeah. That, that blew me away. I mean, I can't. You know, the I, only, you know the only other Yankees to have 40 home runs before August 1st are like Maris, Mantle. There was one other, but they're like all dead. They're like all Hall of Fame guys are like in Maris's case, just had one of the most famous home run hitting seasons of all time right. and are like no longer living humans. Like he's having a historically great start to his season. Like he's been so good. And he's got like three or four homers already since the break ended. It's yeah. incredible. It's really I'd like if if the Mets paid him. I mean, I wouldn't be- mind it. Like if he can prove that he can be healthy for a full season. Um I wouldn't mind it so much like as a backup to Soto because I still want Soto. Oh yeah. Well, Soto is like, Soto is safe. Soto's best. Um, Soto is, he's, he's really legit. Um, But judge is like good news. That deal just went through. Got triples of the Nova now. I, I love, I'm sorry. I love since we have so much time. Do you watch better call Saul? I don't, but that's, that Bob Odenkirk is apparently hilarious. He's he's hilarious in Breaking Bad as Better Call as as Saul Goodman, but like he's so good in Better Call Saul as like an actual like dramatic actor. Like I'm gonna watch that the newest episode as soon as we get out of here. Like it's it's a great show. You should watch it. Um, that's the spiel. That's my tangent. On, we're, uh, we're referencing a skit from the show. I think you should leave. That has yeah. Bob Odenkirk in it. Uh, yeah. It's a really funny. Also, skit really good um apparently most of that skit is like improvised and it's even better when you look at it through that lens uh like apparently like tim robinson doesn't like having skits improvised but odenkirk was just firing off stuff that was so funny that he just let him roll with it yeah um so it's a great that's of my friends and i are constantly referencing that show and that skit is one of the ones we reference the most really funny show Super, They're usually super. in the background. They're usually in the background laughing too, you know. Oh come on! Don't do that's the that's the other comedy guy. That's yeah, the they're all kind of they're all the guys who were like too good for SNL. Um, yeah, you know. Okay, but getting yeah, back on track. Getting back on track. Yankees are good. Like they're really they're a good baseball team. Um, Matt Carpenter is slugging eight thirty. I don't know how the hell that is possible. But they found a resurgent. Like I thought, Matt Carpenter was like done. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. did. He was stuck in AAA with the Rangers. He wasn't even that good down there. He was fine, but it was like PCL numbers. There were a couple FanGraphs articles I remember like circulating at the end of last year that were like, "Guys, don't give up on Matt Carpenter," because like the on base, the batting average to on base like difference was still what it had always been prior to like the injuries that had built up built up like he yeah he was hitting like in the 180s but his on base was still like 320 um so people were pointing at that they were pointing at the hard hit rates um 
And I mean, realistically, like the Mets could have been in on that in May when he opted out of that deal with the Rangers. And I know that like, you know, they, they wanted to bank on Dom Smith. And I know that maybe Robinson Cano, maybe the same chance of being good in their eyes, but like, I mean, if the Mets had Matt Carpenter, they could be reaping these benefits pretty strongly. Um, I'm not going to hold it against them by any means, but the Yankees are a team that is smart enough to pull out the stops and get him. I mean, he is basically the Vogelbach of their team, just in terms of like a bat, a DH, a guy who just adds something completely unique to their lineup. Um, but he's doing like otherworldly things, but even like the catcher position for them. Right. I mean, going into the year, I remember there were a lot of questions about the decisions they were making with catcher because they had Higashioka. They had a guy that they had traded for in the Gary Sanchez trade named Ben Rordbed, who still isn't played. I'm pretty sure he's hurt, but he was a very good framer with a bad bat. And they traded for Jose Trevino, who was also a very good framer with a bad bat. Um, not much of a surprise. Trevino is a 100th percentile in framing. Uh, the bigger surprise is that he's a 109 OPS plus on this team. He's fifth in team R war. He caught in the all-star game. I think we talked about how he caught with like Nestor Cortez and they did a back and forth and yeah. that was really cool on the mics. But um, regardless, like the team just, they see talent, they know how to get like how to cultivate results out of that talent. Um, I mean, you talked about the bullpen. It really is a, a clinic. Um, we talked about Clay Holmes earlier, right? With the Pirates being foolish enough to deal him, but like the Yankees knew what to do with him. It's kind of a surprise that they never did get the results out of Miguel Castro um, that I thought they would have when the Mets traded him. Um, but maybe they really just didn't think they could work with Joely Rodriguez anymore, which like, I guess they had a point there. Um but they're they're really smart. Uh, they're very very. They're not only a very smart organization. They're probably the best organization in in baseball. They're probably the best pitch science organization in baseball. Um, they're really good at just figuring out what works for guys, and you know, figuring out what tweaks they need to make, and they do that. Like. They drafted a guy out of my Cape League team in the 14th round who's, like, fastball with some sink, 92-93, and, like, a big sweeping slider. And I was like, ah, crap, they're at it again. They see something in him. Like, he was good here. Like, he's he's going to be a big leader with them. Like, I just know it. Like, yeah, they can turn any pitcher into somebody. They got – they got a guy out of Haverford, uh, Stephen Ridings, like, one of the only – like, literally one of, like, three – Haverford alumni to get drafted by a major league team and I mean he I don't know if you remember this because it was very brief last year before he got hurt he was like 100 uh, yeah he was throwing like 102 103 he has really like live stuff I mean I got to watch this dude like when he was in the Cubs organization just visiting Haverford throwing and like he was throwing hard um he was like I mean he was pretty good I think just in terms of like raw stuff, but the Yankees took him and basically took like a 26, 27 year old pitcher who was bouncing between organizations in the lower minor leagues. And they got all the results out of him. And like, I'm not trying to take away from the work that he also put in, but like they knew how to help him. You know what I mean? And like, that's something that really probably will also apply to, to the, to your Cape guy. And I yeah, mean, it's Christopher Bowe. 
Keep, yeah, EOW, keep an eye on Chris Bow. He came out of the same JUCO in Nevada that Bryce Harper went to when he when he reclassified to get drafted. Yeah, um, Southern Nevada. Yeah. Also, his dad played uh, basketball for the Icelandic national team. Yeah. So you're gonna have a, an Icelandic big leaguer, uh, even yeah. though he's American. Like his dad was Icelandic, so that's pretty cool. Anyways. Like- qualifiers for the classic or something i guess they don't have a team i don't know if iceland has a baseball team for the wbc whatever uh yeah he's got an interesting story he was pretty pretty cool uh pitcher to watch in his uh month or so here on cape cod and i wish him all the best he just signed his contract with the yankees he's down in florida with them so um we'll i'll be keeping an eye on him as will i be keeping an eye on with all the cape guys that you know i got to watch this year that got drafted um so that's cool. Anyways, going back to the I got it wrong, by the way, on ridings. I'm sorry. He's he's 26 years old right now, but okay. I think, yeah. You weren't far off. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I probably should have known just because he's same like, age Colin Holden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's one of the only guys Haverford really graduated. I mean, they got um, yeah, they had Tommy Berg Johns, who was famously traded to the uh Dodgers and the Carlos Ruiz trade. Uh, I mean, it was a huge deal when the Phillies drafted him because like Haverford, Philadelphia, he was a Pennsylvania guy. And like, um, I don't think he made it to the big leagues, but he pitched in, he pitched as high as AAA. And then there's Jay Chaplin who does some pretty cool sports science stuff now, but never made it to the majors. Um, he got drafted by the Dodgers, but yeah, this is, so to, to go back to the Yankees for a second, because I think we've made our point that they really know what they're doing. I mean, and like, they have the same problem that the Mets have, I think, where, like, the guys that are bad are, like, like the fans really just cannot stand to watch them. It's really miserable. Like, Gallo is like that. Josh Donaldson has been like that. We talked about Chapman. Um, I think Jonathan Loisica is was sort of, like, he might have been dealing with an injury. I mean, now he's back from it. Maybe he gets better, but he has, like, a 7 ERA right now, but they can work around that because they have other people that they can get results out of. Um, like they're just that, they're just that kind of team. I'm scared. I know it's city field. I know the Mets have the vibes working for them after last night. Um, I'm very scared that they're going to get swept. Yeah. There's, I, I, there's some concern. Yeah. There's some and concern. That's not a, that's not a, I don't believe in the Mets thing, but. I mean, they're starting pitching too. Nestor Cortez is very good. Jordan Montgomery is having a very quietly good year. So is Jameson Tayo. Yeah, Montgomery goes in the first game against Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, And then the Mets don't have a probable for the second game, but they're getting Domingo Herman in his second start back from injury. Second start of the season. And the first one was not good. Uh, It was one of those games against the Astros that they got, that they lost. Uh, coming out of the all-star break Domingo Herman is like the, the the domestic violence guy and I really really would like the Mets to beat up on him that would be cool thank you very much please make it happen uh, you'll probably be Scherzer on Tuesday because of the because of the off day it could because um, they threw Peterson yesterday and it's, it's, definitely a, not. it's confirmed it's like Taiwan is the probable for Tuesday but Wednesday sorry Wednesday. I meant Wednesday Scherzer would be Wednesday Wednesday, I could, I could see it. I would like that a lot. He pitched Friday. I mean, it gives him enough time. That would be, that would be four days rest. It would be pretty standard. Um, I think it makes sense. 
I think Jacob DeGrom would also be a good option. That would be great. However, I think he's pitching elsewhere in New York State on Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. He's pitching uh, close to you, right? Near you, sort of, or near where you usually where I, are. Where I was previously before I graduated. Um, he will pitch in Syracuse on Wednesday. He threw a, simula- a simulated game down in Florida on uh, last Thursday through 60 pitches. It was like four or five up-downs, inning simulations, whatever. Um, and he came out of it, quote unquote, feeling good. Um, and Buck said today that he's hopeful that this is the end of, uh, of his progression back to the majors. Looks like they're going to treat it as his final tune-up before rejoining the rotation, um, his final tune-up before making his season debut and um, getting the Mets through the last two months of the season, hopefully with some very, very good pitching yeah. Um, I mean, I really hope that sticks. If it sticks, it makes such a huge difference, possibly like even less. So like, okay, Jacob deGrom starting every five days. We all know what that's going to entail. If it's every five days, like it's going to be beautiful. You're going to, you're not going to have plans. Like you're going to be watching the game or you will have plans. You will have planned to watch those games. Like it's going to give you life again. Uh, you'll be stoked to watch him pitch, but like one of those guys in the rotation, if not two of them, like will go into the bullpen and that will make the bullpen better. Dave Pete make the games better. I would, I'm, I'm starting to come around on the idea of David Peterson in the bullpen because really like he should not be in AAA anymore. Um, he's probably earned his stripes as a, as a big leaguer. Um, if you suddenly have him and Williams doing, you know, multiple innings out of there, uh, it, it gives you a lot more to play with. It takes a lot of, I mean, it makes those up downs that Buck loves to do a lot less of an issue because you have people that are used to up downs. Um, and it makes it like, I mean, really it also takes some of the pressure off getting Tyler McGill in that, in that bullpen when he comes back, if he comes back. But like, I think that it's something that will make a good deal of difference, like across the board beyond just Jake starting. Also Trevor may might be back in the bullpen by then. Yeah. I really I, I would really be remiss, honestly, if the Mets used those two returns and treated them like acquisitions here and didn't add actual relievers at the deadline. Because as I said before, like you cannot go into even September with Lugo, Rodriguez, and Smith on your active roster in a bullpen. Like one of them, maybe. Um, October, I guess that like makes it easier for you to cut down, but like really like we should not be giving any of those guys high leverage anymore the only pitcher they're giving time to right now in high leverage besides our mvp edwin is adam Ottavino. he's the only one who i think has actually earned it and and kept like my trust intact and even then it's like like kind of tenuous but um i think really like you need to treat those acquisitions as those arrivals not as acquisitions. See, yeah. I almost, I almost did it just now. That would have been bad. Um, I agree with you. Like you cannot use. Sorry if my mic just. Cannot use Trevor May. Double gulp cup for the Slurpee. What? You cannot use the double gulp cup for the Slurpee, Sam. We're doing more memes. No, sorry. That was just because you had a little meme moment with the mic. Sorry. Sorry, we uh we can't use Trevor May 
um, in his return to the bullpen. He just made his first relief outing in Binghamton the other day. Um, you cannot use his return to the bullpen to preclude you from going and getting like David Robertson. You just cannot do that. Um, you got like, you still need to actually add guys. Like yeah. me saying that they need to add two relievers is like still with the assumption that Trevor May is going to be activated and effective. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Which is a, like a big assumption to make, at least I think maybe not for May because they're doing their due diligence with the back-to-back days thing on his rehab to make sure that he'll be fine. But like, will he be good? I don't know. And like DeGrom, you just, you still don't know if he's going to make more than one start when he comes back. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's not, the stress is not really going to, the, the, the foreboding is not going to end when Jacob DeGrom does come back, but like, I'm just, he's kind of made a glass right now. So I'm like very concerned that he's able to get through multiple turns in this rotation without breaking again. But I really hope that he is Jacob DeGrom through the end of October, basically into November, even if it happens to go to that far. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That'd be great. Um, Because I mean, if, if he and Scherzer are, both healthy and on top of their game come playoff time, the Mets are very, very dangerous. Um, so that'd be cool. I like those guys. I hope they pitch well. Um, Jacob and Trevor, come on back now and uh, Im- Im- improve this baseball team. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I wish they were coming back a little sooner because a reinforcement or two for this two-game stretch against the Yankees would be neat. Um, yeah. But we get the Marlins after that. Hopefully we'll have a couple of new toys to play with in that regard. Speaking of uh, toys to play with, why don't we uh, play with some guys to remember, Jack? You, want, you, yeah. go, you go for – I don't have one right now. So I'm going to go completely off vibes. I'm going to see the direction you go, and I'm going to go with that direction myself. I like that. I like that. Um, well, I have been thinking about this in terms of, like, you know, it's usually kind of on a flavor of the week basis. And we've probably talked about that before. Like if I see something that reminds me of a guy, like something in Metland that's, 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 you know, contemporary that reminds me of a guy, I'll just remember that guy. Uh, Dan Vogelbach coming into the picture has made me think about like the last time the Mets had like just a brick shit house on their team. Uh, it's been like, a, I mean, the obvious answers are like, yeah, like Cespedes was, was yoked like Pete Alonzo is is huge right now like but you got to understand like when the feature of the guy is how massive how in awe at the size of the lad you are um I think that's really like what distinguishes them because Cespedes like sure he was like a big dude but like he was also probably one of the best power hitters the Mets have ever had in the last decade Valentino Pescucci on the other hand Uh was just a big dude and he was Italian, but mostly he was just a big dude. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, you've remembered him before because he gets remembered, like, in circles from time to time. He's a very distinct figure. It's a memorable name and a yeah. memorable guy to remember. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is a little bit more to his story than just the being a big dude. Uh, he was very, very tall. Um, that was what I remembered most. He was tall uh, and by virtue of his tallness he was also like pretty uh you know he had a he had a good deal of uh he had a he had a decent bmi yeah he was six foot six 265 pounds um he was like a renowned 
power hitter in like the minor leagues in independent leagues too but he didn't actually spend like nearly as much time in the majors and with the Mets the 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 scope of his time was like it was 11 at bats um one of those at bats uh was a home run it was off Cole Hamels which is 2011 like it that's kind of a that's good Cole Hamels against a good Phillies team um and at this point he was like he was 32 years old and it had been his first taste of big league action since like 2004. Um, he had spent seven years out of major league baseball. Um, and the time he'd spent in 2004 was his only time. He had like a cup of coffee with the Montreal Expos. I mean, really dating yourself there. Right. But like, didn't really do much with that time. He hit under 200 with the Expos. So he spent a lot of time in the minors. Uh, he was always big, always a big fella. Uh, but he had the home run. He had the home run, and it amounted to a 273, 273, 545 line in 11 at bats. But I'm remembering large adult paisan, Valentino Pascucci. Um, that's that's. He also wore Carlos Beltran's number, like the year <laughs> that they traded him, which was yeah. pretty funny, also in its own way. Uh, just a lot of different directions you can go in with a guy like that. But I think that it makes it, I think I've said my piece. I think I'm happy okay. with what I've put out there. You got a great one there, but I'm going to like do a little Pokemon evolution here and say, what if you took Valentino Pascucci, stripped him of his Italian identity, but made him even more of all of that? And I just mean, I don't mean anything about the, like the name. Uh, you, you can't erase Italian culture, Sam. I'm not trying to. I'm trying to. Uh, we have Italian listeners. I'm trying to introduce Mike Hessman. Mike Hessman, yeah. That's cool. Let's he do was Mike Crash Hessman. Davis. He was literally, yes, let's do Mike Hessman because we're going to do, I'm a big Mike Hessman head because. My, my Kessman. My Kessman. Um, Mike Hessman spent. The 2010 season with the Mets. This is his last big league appearance. He is such an interesting guy. Like someone needs to write an article about the purview of Mike Hess. Like you need to give me Mike Hessman content because Mike Hessman was drafted in 1996. He made his major league debut in 2003 with the Braves. He got into the big leagues in parts of five different seasons with three different teams 03, 04, 07, 08, in 2010. He played overseas for a long time. He has not one, but two home run records. The all-time record for home runs in the International League, which is one of the AAA's leagues, and the home runs for most career minor league home runs, period. That's... He hit 433 homers to break a record as a minor leaguer. I mean, really, like, we just say we just say Crash Davis all the time and we bandy it about, but, like, there's so much to that narrative about being a minor leaguer for that long that you can actually set a record but don't really get – I mean, really, like, if, in order to set a record like that, you have to be, like – foregoing big league time a lot of big league time like 
you got to be passed up a lot and to keep playing through that is like I think pretty admirable pretty cool maybe I just basically gave you like the whole point of Crash Davis's like narrative and his whole you know why the character is so appealing but like I don't know I haven't really given that a whole lot of thought it would be something to write a book about like a novel about a guy you know the most like the record is so astounding because having the minor league home run record is such a feat because the guys who do that at a high rate, who are productive hitters and hit home runs are not career minor leaguers. These are guys that graduate and stay up in the majors. It was a 78 year old record for minor league career home runs at 432. And he broke it. He's one of only six players in organized professional baseball history to hit 400 minor league home runs. One of six. This is an extremely rare occurrence. Someone who spends that much time in the minor leagues and is that good at hitting home runs. So Hessman had his cup of coffee with the Mets in 2010. He had a couple of home runs. But he's always, always... Um, a memorable character and figure in Mets history because of the records that surround him and that long minor league career that I think he really deserves credit for because he stuck with his craft for a very long time. Didn't play a lot as a major leaguer, but carved a nice little career out for himself as a very well-regarded character uh, in minor league baseball history. That's actually kind of crazy too that he played as long as he did. Like he played till 2015. He's only um, uh, he's only in his mid 40s right now. Yeah. So he played until his uh until he's about 38 or so. It's weird to think that this happened like in a timeline where the Mets were winning, you know, winning the pennant. Like Mike Hessman was just doing that. Former Met legend Mike Hessman, former 127 batting Mike Hessman. Um, Sorry, I had to I had to put that out there. That was a, it's a it's 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 just a funny number because uh, it's one of those numbers that like you got to accumulate a lot of at bats to achieve. It's not a one eleven. It's not a one sixty seven. Like it's specific. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. But no, I I I for the most part, in fact, in, in its entirety, I think Mike Hessman is a really good guy to remember and a really interesting figure. Um, who probably here's the crash Davis thing. Like every time he, he goes out in public, but all the time. Yeah. And just like the, the, all the time that we've broadcasted podcasted. I don't know where I was going with that episode 89. We've done a lot of these. We're going to continue doing them because uh, they're kind of fun. So uh, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the 89th episode of the pleasant good evening podcast. We're getting closer and closer to 100. You don't even know what we have planned for 100. Because neither do we. We don't know. We, we don't know. What we have we don't know what we have planned for 100 either. But we'll probably figure something out. That's coming up in a few weeks. Um, he's been Jack Anden. I've been Sam Lebowitz. This one's in the books. And Mets fans, have a pleasant evening. Mm-hmm.